You're listening to Inside Real Estate, your source for all things mortgage and real estate related. The show that brings you all the hottest topics and insights directly from those who know it most. Now sit back and enjoy the show. What is up, everyone? Paul Apostolakis, Brad Weisgerber, Salvatore Cusmano will be joining us here shortly. We are Inside Real Estate. For those of you have, that have found us again or are coming back to listen to us, Thank you. We appreciate you. We couldn't do it without you. For those of you that just have, have discovered us, I mean, we could well, do we it could do it without yeah. you. We could. <laughs> nobody would be, yeah. But we, I mean, it'd be kind of boring if nobody actually listened. Uh, you know what I mean? But sure. for those of you listening, please go to uh, uh, irepodcast.com. You can go to Facebook forward slash irepodcast. Uh, you can uh, go to any podcast app and find us there. Uh, and listen to us, uh, and please like, like, subscribe, and share because it does do a lot to spread the word of our little, little dumb podcast here, Brad. It's a little, yep. little, it's a little pot. You know, we how, how many episodes have we done, uh, Natalia? How so many episodes between, have we somewhere between a hundred and two hundred? This is one hundred sixty-four, I believe. One sixty-four. All right, so we've done one hundred sixty-four episodes, and we've got like a total of fifteen listeners. It's awesome. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, so today we've got a really special guest. Uh, her name is Edna Keep. She's act- actually from Canada, but she is a real estate uh, millionaire coach, author of multiple ways of wealth. Uh, she's an author. Uh, she's really passionate about helping real estate investors around the world make millions while investing in real estate. She also talks about leveraging other people's money as opposed to using your own to get into the business to, get, to kind of increase your portfolio. Uh, she is just an investing animal and I'm, I'm interested to hear what she's going to talk about as far as what she sees as happening in the in the marketplace how she sees people getting into it um so without further ado i do want to bring edna onto the show edna welcome to inside real estate thanks so much for having me on it's my pleasure it's awesome awesome so you have let's talk let's let's just start with how did did edna get into real estate that's the first question we always ask any new uh, audience our new member of our, our show what what brought you into real estate how did you get into it because nobody actually wakes up in my opinion and says i'm going to do real estate right <laughs> very very true you know what i lived in subsidized housing when i was a young single mom and never hardly even thought about owning my own home let alone uh, owning real estate long term but what got me into real estate was i was a financial advisor for 15 years selling uh, life insurance mutual funds i was a certified financial planner so i did the whole nine yards but i had clients coming into me wanting to reduce money out of their mutual funds to buy real estate I'm like, are you crazy like why do you want to do that and yeah <laughs> we have the blinders on a lot of people think that financial advisors understand all asset classes i did not i did not have a clue about real estate and one uh one of my clients actually took some time to me to explain what he liked about real estate i believe he had like 50 doors or something like that right in our community and and then i could see where he was getting all this money to invest in uh, mutual funds right and so uh we took uh started with an evening class introductory class and we took a three-day weekend and at the three-day weekend which is uh, through the robert kiyosaki training group we were introduced to all the different nuances of real estate and we signed up on the spot so spent twenty-seven thousand us spent a year just learning everything possible 
that we could about real estate, trying to figure out where our niche was going to be. We didn't know really which way we wanted to go. So we tried to, you know, BRR and we rent owns and lease options. We learned about commercial. But my favorite class was creative financing. And that's where we've really been able to excel. But yeah, <clears throat> that's what took me from uh, owning nothing but our own home to now 778 doors. I'm really happy you mentioned something and I saw Brad react. It's like you were a financial advisor, but you didn't know anything about that as a different asset class. And, it, and it's kind of like if you're not in that lane, no matter you can look at the lane, but if you're not in it, you don't really totally understand it. Yeah. Yeah. Even owning our own home, we didn't understand it. We never really like you kind of understand mortgage pay down and, you know, the value of your home increasing over the years and stuff. But but it, it's really key when you have other people paying your asset off for you, your tenants paying your asset. And that's really the key to wealth is is uh, Robert Kiyosaki teaches that getting other people to pay for your assets. You know, somebody would have told me when I was that young single mom living in subsidized housing that someday people would be paying off my 70 million, $75 million asset. I, I would, I could not have even wrapped my head around it. What, what right. Sense? I would think. It's pretty crazy to think about. <laughs> so, 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 so Oh, go ahead, Brad. Go you ahead. mentioned something that is, it's come up before. So I think it was like two years ago, maybe we had a guest on, on the whole topic of creative financing and that whole topic blows my mind. Are you still able to to find avenues for creative financing in today's in today's kind of climate? Oh, yes. Yes. All the time. You know, one of our favorite strategies is getting vendor financing. Um, and and we, we've actually been told by realtors, you can't do that. It's illegal. And, you know, it, it just shows that they don't know. They don't understand anything that's outside the norm. They don't understand. But we do agreement for sales where the uh, sellers hold financing while we, you know, uh, get everything in order to qualify for good long-term financing. We do a lot of vendor financing. We've used um, registered plans for to help buy real estate. Like th there's so many different ways to uh, to buy real estate. We made an offer on a property one time where we're going to buy 11 of them and get the 12th one free. You know, like there's there's so many ways and, and people just it's until you're in it and studying it and and working in it, people can't fathom. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you can. There's there's so many different ways to make money in real estate, and not there. It's not just one dimensional. It's so multifaceted that you can do so many different things. How do you become focused on one? Because it's very easy. We're, we're very much the shiny object type industry, right? Oh, there's a shiny mm -hmm. object over there. Let's go, ball, right? And you jump towards it. So sometimes it's hard for people to stay in their lane and, and kind of become singular focus to try to make something of that one part of the business. Do you suggest being singularly focused or do you suggest like spreading yourself across different different lanes and kind of trying to get different parts of different the real, the real estate business going? Well, you know, when we started out, uh, guys, we didn't know what lane we wanted to be in. We tried everything. We did lease to owns and and uh, like like uh, we looked at land development we took all commercial courses we took residential brr everything wholesaling um so at the beginning we didn't know but when we we bought we bought 24 pro, uh, doors we go by doors as opposed right. to properties sure. 
in our first, um, say, 12 months. And then we bought a 24-unit apartment building. Well, that one deal just sent us into stratosphere. You know, we ended up condo converting that apartment building and sell. We bought them at 75,000 a door and we were selling them for 142,000 a door. Just what was happening in the market right then. And you know what, if we hadn't got started, we wouldn't even have known that there was an opportunity like that. But in the long run, after trying several of these different, uh, different ways of doing real estate, we decided to focus on multifamily. And that's when we really seen the scale. So multifamily and long-term buy and hold, those two. But what I see happen a lot of times is people will sign up for something, whatever it is, let's say it's wholesaling, uh, and then they start their journey and it's hard, you know, it's like, oh, yeah. I do this and I got to do lead generation and I got to put out the yellow signs and I got to, you know, and it, and then they, somebody tells them about um, something different, like, uh, like maybe rent to own. Oh, that sounds easier. So then they do that and then they realize, oh, this isn't as easy as I thought. It's the same learning curve. Then somebody tells them about multifamily and they start there and it's like, oh gosh, there's a learning curve there. I got to work right. as hard as I did in wholesaling and leasing. So what I tell people is when you determine, and, and sometimes you have to figure it out which way you want to focus, but when you determine, yes, you got to focus because anybody come, come along, good salespeople come along and sell you on their course that it's better, it's faster, it's quicker, it's easier. I don't care who you are. If you don't do the work, you're not going to get there. I always tell my students, you know what? You can study till the cows come home, but it's not till you actually are working on a live deal that you even know that you know what you know, you know? <laughs> yeah, you don't know what you know until you, you get to go through it. You yeah. do. Yeah, and you don't get that without focusing on one thing and doing it over and over and over again, even if you do it in different ways. That's why I think, yeah, focusing on one thing definitely helps you scale. So you mentioned something, you mentioned that it's hard work, right? No, and no matter what, like a lot of times, you know, Brad and Sal's on the show, by the way, welcome to the show. Hi, Sal. Hey. Uh, so, you know, a lot of times, even in our business, people are trying to go to the path of least resistance or looking for some easy, quick money or, hey, I can do this really quickly. But the reality is, no matter what path you choose, there's work involved with each each one of them regardless of what you choose yeah. and it's not easy you've got to do the work in every lane that you cho choose to be in in this game of real estate uh, what kind of dog is that <laughs> a shih tzu and she sees people what we're on an acreage she sees people walking by and she gets all excited and she's got to go say hi <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome. So, so Edna, I'm new to the the, the investment space. I I I, uh, I want to get into it. Where do I start? Well, you know what I think the biggest thing that you can do for do for yourself is to get around like minded people. Because you know what it's like out there in the real world. You start telling your dreams and your hopes to people who don't have a clue about real estate, even your former financial advisor, and they shoot it down because they don't understand. So you have to be around like-minded people who have done what you want to do. And, and, and you have to stay around those people because they can show you, like, you know, you said it, it, it's hard work. Um, and, and sometimes when we talk about what we do, it sounds easy. Well, the only reason it sounds easy is because we've been doing, doing it for 10 years and now right. it is easy, you know, right. but until you get that first deal, the first one is the absolute hardest, which is whether it's a house or your first multifamily or your first wholesale deal or your first lease option, 
everyone, the first one is the hardest. And every time you do it, it gets that much easier. So they look at us, they go, well, that looks easy. And then they realize that the, the work has happened. So where to start? Be around like-minded people first and foremost, because it can help you think about what you need to do. And then hire a coach. <clears throat> the best money we ever spent, uh, and we did it immediately, we hired a coach and, and signed up for a program with Rich Dad Poor Dad. That taught us all the nuances. And we bought 50 doors in 18 months. That doesn't happen without having your hand held through the scary parts because that first one is the scariest. And then the second one's still kind of scary. The first apartment building scary at first, you know. So having somebody who's been there, done that, say, you know what? You can do it. I did it. I, you can do it. It is so powerful. And so I talk a little bit about the fear because a lot of people are debilitated by fear. And sometimes they say it's not worth it because I'm, because fear will stop a lot of people from doing things. Um, that seems dangerous to them, but because it's new, it's dangerous. But talk to me about how, how you help people get over that fear of, of, oh my God, I don't know how to do this. And I don't know if this is for me. And I don't know if I can pull it off to, okay, maybe I should do this. Right. How do you, how do you help someone kind of get through that fear? Well, I get them, first of all, to understand the strategy. So you understand what is a good deal, what isn't a good deal, how to build your power team so that you're not stuck doing absolutely everything, how to talk to potential investors, how to get your financing in place. So so, they, so the strategy has to be learned. It doesn't matter. You're not going to just mindset it. But right. after that, mindset is a huge component. And that mindset comes from pulling the trigger. So, you know, I, I, just, I just did a training call with my students last night. And earlier in the day, I had a call with a student who had been with me for six weeks. And I had just done... Uh, a podcast interview with somebody else who'd been with me the exact same time frame. Like they started within days of each other. The second student bought two buildings, has two buildings under contract. It's not finalized, but he's got an eightplex and he's got a fiveplex. And the fellow on the call said to me, you know what, Edna? I looked at both of those deals, but I wasn't mm. ready to pull the trigger. Mm -hmm. And And he said, and in listening to the podcast you did with him, what I realized is, I don't need to know everything to pull the trigger because I'm always telling my students, like, if you find a good deal, you don't have to finish the whole course. You can learn as you go. When you're working on a live deal, you've got me to help you. The, the difference between this student and this student, this student had his first check-in call with me at six weeks. This student had 10 calls with me in that six-week period, got two deals. That's the difference. He, he said, I'm doing it. I, once he decided, it took him a, few, a little while to decide to sign up, but he decided, he found a deal. He said, what's, okay, Edna, I found this deal. What's next? Get an offer. Made an offer. Okay, Edna, what's next? Okay, you, then you, let's get in front of the lender. Okay, Edna, got that done. What's next? Okay, we've got an order and appraisal. You know, and he did it step by step by step by step. And he has a system now to follow yeah, for the right. next one and the next one and the next one. So, I would argue that they, they both probably had the same amount of fear. I mean, fear, it, it can be a good thing, right? Because fear can drive those actions of having those phone calls and trying to do the research and figuring things out. But the other person was debilitated by the fear and kind of sat back and didn't want to do anything about it. So I think fear can be a very good thing because it's going to drive you to figure things out and to do your research and to push yourself to overcome it, right? Yeah. Yes, yes. But Brad, you know, you know what a lot of people think? They go, 
oh, this has to be a perfect deal. I have to understand how to do everything myself. And, and I, you know, I need to have my investors lined up and I need to, you know, have the, the have had conversations with potential investors or the, in the, the um, lenders and all this kind of different stuff. But that's not true. Right. The very first step is to get something under contract because in multifamily, which is a little bit different than, than single family, the negotiations start after you have something under contract. So I teach my students, I don't care what the, I don't care what the offer is. I don't care. Just get it under contract. Cause if you don't, the next person's going to, and then you don't even have a chance. And, and I always talk about the story that happened to one of my students. So he was bidding on an 18 unit apartment building. He bid, and this is just indicative of some of the things that happens in, in our market. And, and it's not something that I totally agree on. I like to get bargains, but he wanted to get this building because in his area, it did cash flow. He bid 150,000 more than asking, but he didn't get that. He didn't get his offer accepted. The guy who got his offer accepted bid 300,000 over asking. Wow. But. In the long run, the guy who bid three hundred thousand more than asking got the building at one hundred and fifty thousand more than asking. So, my student, compared to the other guy, he bid higher, but then he started negotiating and he brought the price down to what my student had offered. And they didn't come back to my student and go, "Well, hey, Joe over here is now right. trying to down me to what your your offer was." No. Bird in the hand is worth 10 in the bush. This guy did exactly what I teach should be. Get it under contract, then negotiate. Interesting, then negotiate. interesting. Because if you're out of the water, you don't even have a chance. Like Jake couldn't go back and go, well, you know, maybe I want to bid 100. It's too late. It's too, too late. late at that point. Yeah. And something that you're really big on is leveraging investor money so that uh, people aren't just putting in all their own funds into these transactions. So talk to the audience about how in the world can I, as an investor, leverage or leverage other people's money to do what I want to do, right? Like, it, it almost seems like, how do I do that? Like, that, that to me is the, 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 the gold of all this. Yeah. And you know what? The first thing that I teach people is you have to have the confidence. Because if you go to somebody and you go, well, you know, I kind of have a deal and I haven't done this before and I don't have any money and I want to use your money. You're, you're dead in the water, right? Nobody right. is going to give you money if you go in with that attitude. So you got to know what you're doing, which is where, you know, taking a course, getting coach helps. I have a deal. This is why I like it. This is why I love it. I'm doing the deal no matter what. Would you like to be part of it? And then explain it. You have to go in with confidence and you also have to realize, because sometimes people will say to me, you know, they maybe bought two or three houses and they'll go, well, why don't just people with money do it themselves? Lots of people don't want to do it themselves. They want to invest in real estate. There's a ton of people out there who've built their wealth in real estate, but they're the silent partner. A ton of people out there like that. You got to find them and you got to educate them because a lot of times, Maybe I educated them on mutual funds, so they're still in mutual funds. You've got to educate them on why it's a good idea to invest in real estate, why it's a good idea to invest with you, and it's never all about you. I always tell my students, when you're working with me, I'm on your team. So you work with someone who has 778 doors, 14 years experience, have done it in every every you know province, every and not every state yet, but we're starting to move more and more into the U.S. You're not alone. 
and and you've got to get that point across to people so that there's a confidence in you right from day one and that's that's where you know and and you're providing a very valuable service to these investors because if they wanted to do it on their own they would have to spend all the time sometimes they're busy making money in their own business that they love and that's very lucrative why would they stop doing that and go do something they don't love you already know you love real estate you're in a good position to help these people out what do you look for when you're looking at properties what is it that makes a property a good buy versus a bad buy well our favorite strategy is to find an underperforming building but we have also bought turnkey properties but underperforming is our favorite uh, you know, one of our first large deals was 144 units, but the, the rents were very low. We bought it from a charity, so they weren't really good at, they'd been given to them. They weren't good at property management, keeping rents up, all that kind of stuff. So we went in and it was, it was fully occupied or almost. We gave rent increases across the board. And as people moved out, we renovated the units. Uh, 36 months later, we refinanced, paid out all the investors all their money. So those are our favorite strategies because there's a real lift. We, you know, you give a hundred dollar rent increase across the board on 144 units. Boom, that increases the value of your property a lot. So our favorite strategy, but you don't find those every day. Uh, so we've also bought turnkey strategies where, you know, you, you buy and you still always hope that there's value add, maybe a chance to increase rents a bit, uh, better management, reduce your expenses, that kind of stuff. Um, and, and that works too. One of the coaches that I worked with early on, he said, like he said, yeah, I've had several home runs. He said he's been doing it for 30 years. Uh, but he said, most of my wealth was built on average deals. So we're always looking for the home run, but you can't only pull a trigger on potential home runs or sometimes you'll starve to death before that home run comes along. You know, um, we started in 07. We bought average deals. We, we took duplex or single family homes, made them into duplex. We condo converted an apartment building. That deal came to us in 2012 and we were ready for it at that point. We could do all the things that we'd been trained to do and wanted to do, but that was our first big deal home run. Uh, and that took us from 07 to 2012 to be able to find that. But in the meantime, we purchased a lot of other doors that were really good, decent, solid deals. You know, it's funny, you mentioned 2007, you obviously did this through the crash of 2008 and not to belabor it, we've talked about that so much, we all know what happened then. But let's let's talk about today. A lot of people are are kind of saying uh, we're in the same kind of bubble. Uh, I beg to differ. It's, I have some different opinions on it. But what do you say to the person that says real estate is not a good investment right now? It's too overbought. It's too inflated. Um, what do you say to those people? You know what? You can always find deals. It doesn't matter what market. We just bought 178 units in Memphis, Tennessee for 21,600 a door. Wow. That's pretty low. That's okay. pretty low. Yeah. And, and we're finding similar deals in that same market. We love Memphis. It's it's workforce housing. We're also looking Jacksonville, Florida. Same thing. Like there there's different markets performing at different times. And you know, um you mentioned Paul that uh you know, the 2007, 2008, that's what was happening in the U.S. You know, when we started, we started in the U.S. because the trainers were in the U.S. So we were hearing about all these things. 
But we couldn't get any financing because the market was just crazy. But at home in Saskatchewan, where I'm from, the market was actually doing really good. So we had bought a different house in 2002. It wasn't brand new, but it was double the size and, and all from what we had had. We paid 222000 for it within five years from 2002 to 2007. It had increased almost double. Yeah, so wow. that's what was happening in our market. So we started buying in real estate in 2007 and and we we actually had a really good market and we could get really good financing, like 85% financing. So although we looked in the US as well and we knew lots of people that bought properties with cash, we weren't in the position to pay cash. So we stuck at home and, and did the financing and just had the percentages down. And, and one of our strategies is get as much fi uh, vendor financing as the first lender will allow. So lots of times we're getting deals. Uh, just, just as an example, the last 38 units we bought in Saskatchewan, the last one, um, we paid three and a half million dollars for it and we got 10% vendor financing. So we only had to get 5% investor money. So my partners and I own 90% of that deal and the investors own 10. But that's because of we got 85% financing from the first lender. We got 10% from the seller, you know, and, st and stuff like that. Um, and you don't do that by just trying to do stuff on your own. You need help. You need people to point you in the direction and, and hold your hand through. Well, how do I set that up? What's the benefit to the vendor? You know, all that different kind of stuff. You have to be able to understand all the ins and outs. Now you do something called creative passive income of 5,000 monthly within six months. What talk to me about that program. Okay. So, uh, uh, my, my training kind of came about organically. People kept saying to me, how the heck did you grow so fast? And there's things that I realized that people were doing that was stopping their growth. One, they were stepping over dollars to pick up dimes. They were property managing their own deal. They were fixing the, the toilets on the weekends. They were dealing with the tenants themselves. We, we bypassed that. We hired property manager right from the start. We were both making good money doing what we were doing. It didn't make sense for us to step over those, those um, dollars to pick up dimes. And, and that's when I realized that that's a key. You have to treat your real estate like a business from day one. So I have a system and it's what allows, allowed us to get to 778 doors on how to do that. So there's, there's, a, there's steps that you have to take to put all that kind of stuff into motion so that you can start buying your properties. Like I was telling you, this fellow that just started with me six weeks ago, two buildings under contract, um, eight unit that's going to pay him about $2,500 a month and a five unit that's going to pay him about $1,000 a month. So by the time he closes those deals, it'll be six months or maybe longer. My, my typical student, it takes them between six and 18 months to get to that 5,000 a month because there's the learning curve. Lots of people don't pull the trigger in the first six weeks because they want sure. to understand the sure. strategy, of course. Of course. but some do. Some have had some experience. They've owned a property or two and it's like, okay, I just need a system. And he gets the system in place, understands it, and then he gets to work on it. So in six months, he will he'll have possession of those properties and that money will be going straight to him. That's amazing. I mean, Sal, we see a lot of investors here, but I mean, we deal mostly on the, on the traditional uh, residential side, but um, 
finding like so I, I, going back to edna uh, you, you're big on doors right like when we when we say doors we're talking about it could be an apartment building it could be a four unit a five unit a 10 unit whatever it may be you're look you're it sounds to me that you're looking to get doors is that right yeah like like we've been at it for 14 years so for us now to buy 178 units at once is no big deal but that's not where i take my students i'm looking at them getting a sixplex or an eightplex or 12 as their first deal the first deal is the hardest you don't want a 178 door deal the first time there's too much shit to deal with you yeah. want a small deal that you can handle and you can grow with that's what we did we started like i mean our first apartment building was a 24 unit but we owned 26 doors before then with partners and in different joint ventures and stuff like that. Um, so, but when, once you own one, then it's just rinse and repeat. And there's always nuances and stuff that comes up that's different. But you know, Paul, what I've noticed too is, and I was exactly the same. Everybody thinks, I don't know if it's from us playing Monopoly when you're kids, you have to have so many houses before you can get a hotel, right? right. I remember the first time sitting in front of my realtor telling him, I want to buy 20 more houses this year. At this point, we had about, I think, 15, 16. And he goes, why don't you just buy an apartment building? And I go, oh, I can't do that. I don't own enough houses. And he goes, well, where do you get that idea? And I go, I don't know where I got that idea. Maybe I played Monopoly too much as a kid. But I honestly believe that. And But sitting in his office that day, he shared with me how I could just as easily buy an apartment building. And you know what? Before I left his office that day, I had an offer on that building. Did I know oh. what I was doing? No, not a clue. He said, well, do you want to drive by? I said, well, you just told me I didn't have to, I that all my negotiation happened after I owned it. And he says, well, let me do up the paperwork. The building's only about four blocks from here. Go drive by and then come back and sign it. And so I did. I had it under contract before I left his office. Um, and we owned it. Uh, and it. And it took us a while to own that one uh, because we it was hard to get it financed because the, it was so under rented uh, compared to what we paid for it. Um, but it all, it all worked out for us. But it was pulling the trigger with faith that everything was going to work out and believing him. When, and, and he said, and I'll help you. I'll help you. I've bought apartment buildings before I can help you. I said, okay, as long as you're going to help me because I don't know what the hell I'm doing here, you know, and, and that's how our first building came about. And, uh, and we never stopped since. So I want to, let's say hypothetically, I'm a buyer. I want to buy a 10 unit apartment here in the States. How hard is it to get financing? Because it's, it's out of our lane, to be fair. So it, the financing side of it, how hard is it to get the financing on that? No, not hard at all. You just have to, you know what? You just have to, first of all, you got to understand your own deal so that you can sell it to the lender. But you know, lenders are, lenders love apartment buildings. They are considered one of the lowest risk investments out there. That's when we can get such high financing, like 80, 85%. It's because it's a low risk investment. Uh, lenders love apartment buildings. They absolutely love more so than houses. Um, with in, in Canada, especially like once we get like, and we were able to get 15 mortgages before we were cut off. We couldn't get any more, but that was yeah. back in 07. Now my students are lucky if they can get two or three doors, even if they have the money, the bank won't lend them on any more houses because the risk is too high because they look at you and your income to qualify for the mortgage. With multifamily, they look at the building first. Income, less expenses, right. gives you a net operating income. 
cannot pay the mortgage and have money left over, just like a business. And it's treated like a business from day one. You're hiring property management. There's so much set aside for repairs and maintenance. And, and so when you learn how to analyze the deal and share that with a potential lender, then, then things just happen from there. So all that, all that's hypothetical though, right? Because how do you have, um, how do you have numbers put together on a, on a building that you don't own? How do you know what the expenses are going to be? How do you know what the income is going to be? How do you know how many tenants you're going to have? So that's all hypothetical, isn't it? No, they have to share with you actual financials, Brad. So in order for you to get financing with the lender, the seller has to prove what he told you is true. So he has to prove that he's getting a thousand a month and give you the leases to show that. He has to prove what the you know power bill is every month and the energy. Like he has to provide proof. And that's what the numbers are based on. And it's not just what he tells you either. It has to be proven. And and lots of times what happens is people try to sell you their building based on what it should be able to do. Oh, you should be able to get a thousand dollars a month rent. Oh yeah, really? How come you're only getting seven fifty? Well, I'm kind of lazy landlord, you know. And they want to sell it to you at a thousand dollars rent, right? But they didn't do the work to get it there. So you're going to buy it at the at the value they built it to, not the value that you can then build it to. Right. And then how do you, and then let's say you find a building. How do you attract investors? Are you just making phone calls? Are you just kind of out there like looking for people? Are there people out there already looking for this that you can tap into? Well, um, just to give you some example, like this analog that I just told you about my student with the with the eight unit and the fiveplex, he actually found his investor right in my group. So it was um, a student that had uh, really good equity in his own personal home and and uh, he put it in the group and, and he found his investor there. And, and, and that happens uh, occasionally. I think there's 10 students right now that are working together in, in that similar form. But what I teach is in order to get investors, you have to educate them. You have to educate them on understanding what a good real estate deal is. And you do that by first understanding it yourself, and then you just share. And and what I get my students to do is right from day one, when you're, okay, you sign up with me, announce it to the world. Guess what? I'm gonna buy an apartment building this year. Most people are gonna think, oh yeah, right. But when you do, I just had a student last night that told me she just finished financing her second apartment building deal since working with me. One of her friends who had been told that they were getting, they got into houses and stuff eight years ago. Uh, and then they started with me just over a year ago. Now they have two six unit buildings. When, when, when they started, they were approached or talked about it but they weren't ready to sign up. They just gave the money out of their home equity line of credit to buy that. So some of it's just like letting people know what you do and staying in touch. And she said right on the call, the main thing that I did that brought them around is my uh, monthly newsletter I was sending out. So she was educating them on what she was getting educated on and then sharing the process they went through, not only the, the property that they bought, but a property they didn't buy and all the reasons why they didn't buy it. She's an engineer. She was very detailed. And now eight years later, these people are going, wow, I should have invested with you eight years ago because they've seen what they've done. So it, it starts with an education process with, with every single investor. That's really interesting. Um, 
So I, so now I, I have a couple buildings. I'm, I'm, is is the goal in your mind to to keep that going? Um, I mean, and, and oh, actually, let me let me ask you this: Is there a situation where you get stuck on a deal and it becomes a bad deal and it could really put you in a bad spot? Because it sounds all great, right? You buy property, you increase the rents, whatever it may be. But talk to me about kind of the pitfalls that people should be looking for to not get into. Well, you know what? Like it, it's that part is similar to houses. Like sometimes there's a dog. You, you buy something thinking it's going to do this, this, and this, and uh, doesn't seem to matter how much repairs you put into it. There's still more. Doesn't seem to matter how many tenants you put in. They move out, and you always have turnover. It might be a neighborhood. It might be that the neighborhood was fine, but after you owned it for a year a drug dealer moved in next door. Like there, there's always stuff that you have to deal with. The number one way to get around on it is don't just buy one deal. Like you got to diversify. I always say I would rather own 25% of four deals than 100% of one. Because if, if that one is a headache, oh man, it's a big headache. But if you have three deals that are really performing well and one that's a dog, it doesn't hurt so much. So the, the key is, to, to diversify even with even with houses like don't buy all of your houses on one block you know I and mean, I've heard of people doing that and and sometimes it works but what if something happened in the middle of that block that you have no choice somebody moves in they buy a house uh, you know and you're surrounding them but they're causing all kinds of issues and your tenants are moving left right and center because the guy's a, a you know asshole or something you know so diversify be in different areas and and different communities um and then you know just just work with it some and then you might sell that one and you might sell it at a loss too uh you know sometimes people hang on to things too long we've had that happen to us when we should have just sold it at the first indication that hey this area is not as good as we thought it was uh so here here in the states we have a moratorium on uh on evictions uh, have you have you heard of that? Right. So yes. is that something to be I mean, is that something to be leery of or do you just see that as being a transient momentary thing that is going to go away? We really try to avoid the areas that are not landlord friendly, per se. Right. Uh, we've bought most of our properties in Canada and Saskatchewan, Alberta because they're landlord friendly provinces same thing in the states we bought memphis because it's a landlord friendly state we stay the heck away from california because the tenants have all the rights in the world right. i don't know how people make money and you know when when they can have a tenant squat for a whole friggin year and not have to pay rent so you, you have to be careful with that definitely yeah. and, it, and it does stop i mean i still have students buying in areas and there's there's ways of doing things. One of my students just bought in a, in a not so landlord friendly, but she gets around the rent control and all that kind of stuff because she provides furnished units. So there's different ways of getting around it. Uh, but man, if you ever get stuck, and, and I had a student in um, Toronto, Ontario that got stuck in a condo. He'd actually, his dad died and he owned this condo with his dad. He sold the condo. And the new owners couldn't even take possession because there was somebody somebody squatting in there because his dad didn't get a proper lease. It took him six months yeah. with that person not paying rent to finally get them out. And the only reason he got them out is he found out that there was a realtor 
advising this person and he threatened the realtor. He said, I am wow. going to your boss if you don't back off. And then that person backed out because she wasn't, she was just taking advice. No, wow. you can stay as long as you want. Yeah, well, you know what? And so then he finally got her out. But yeah, you you got to be careful. You got to know your areas. And uh, and and we definitely prefer landlord-friendly states and provinces. Awesome, Edna. So we're running out of time, but I do want to get to, we do three questions. We ask you three random questions uh, that have really very little to do with real estate, just to get to know you. So uh, Sal, Brad, do you guys have one you want to start with? I mean, we can start with the, the usual one. What? What scares Edna? Yeah, what is your what is your fear, Edna? You know what? I don't have much for fears anymore. I have a very strong faith that everything always works out for me. Even some of the worst crap that's happening to me, I say, why is this happening for me? And sometimes it takes, you know, an hour or two to get to that point, but I I, I know that there's the universal powers. But, but, you're, but Edna, you're telling me that you don't have a fear of like spiders. No, like I've never had a fear of spiders. I don't, I don't like worms, but I'm not scared of them. <laughs> yeah. If somebody threw it at me, I might scream, but you know, it, it's not a fear. It's not fear. I, I don't live in a fear based world. They definitely. I love that. That's a, that's one of the best answers we've had. I, I think, oh, yeah, that's a great answer. Um, if you were stranded on a deserted island and you could only bring three items, what would they be and why? And you can't bring a human or a way off the island. Oh, probably my dog. <laughs> there you go. Okay, you can bring your dog. I'd bring my cell phone. Does that count? <laughs> you can bring your cell phone. Not sure if it'll work, but you can bring it. Because that would still give me a connection to the outside world. There and then go. I'd bring my journal from there because, um, you know what, I have a lot of knowledge inside and I think that I, I could learn a lot just from spending more time alone. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair statement. Uh, any other questions, guys, before? No? If you could uh, live in one uh, decade, you know, like go back and, and relive a decade at any any decade, you know, 1750s or 1960s. What era would you want to live yeah. through? Yeah. Again? I don't know. I, don't, I think I've got my best eras in front of me. You know what? Every year of my life, I enjoy it more and more and more. But, you know, I had a daughter when I was age 16. I would do that differently. I, I have three daughters, four daughters now because we have a foster daughter. And I wouldn't want them to have a child at that age. And yet, if I didn't, I don't think I'd be as driven to to grow as a person and everything else if I didn't. So in one sense... I, I don't ever want my girls to have kids when they're that young. And in another sense, it was the best freaking thing that ever happened to me. So I waffle between yeah. that. Yeah. No, I, I could, I mean, all our experiences get us to where we're at, but is there, is there a time period that you're f the most fond of like the seventies, fifties, or even like the roaring twenties? Like, is there, is there an era that you love? Maybe the fashion, the music, whatever it may be. You know what? I'm going to go with the last decade because I've had the biggest personal growth I've ever seen. And, and I'm really focused on that. I love growing awesome. as a person. Uh, so my favorite, yeah. That's awesome. And uh, tell the audience how they can get a hold of you if they need, a, need some tutelage on the investment world. The best way is my website, ednakeep.com. That's pretty good. That that's that's you own your your website. You betcha. I bought other people's websites. I own Salvatore Cusmano and I own Brad Weisgerber.com. I they don't think they realize the the the, uh, the value of that. 
just yeah. so you know. So when they're famous, yeah. <laughs> Good for you. You can keep it. <laughs> Brad, I'll just go Bradley one. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. And uh, thank you so much for doing the show. We really appreciate you taking the time to impart your knowledge with everybody. Um, we really wish you the best, and I'm sure we'll have you back on at some point. Absolutely. It's my pleasure to speak with you and your audience. Thank you, Edna. Have a wonderful you. day. You too. She was awesome. She owns a lot of doors, dude. She owns yeah. 778 doors. It's in, the, the commercial world to me, it's a lot. It's a lot of doors. The commercial world is kind of funny to me. Just I don't totally understand well, it. We're really so residential. What's that? It's resident. I mean, that's residential that she's in. You know what I mean? So like, it, yeah, like we think of it as a commercial loan, right? Or commercial Correct. they're doing those because they're kind of like a business, but really, yep. you know, residential rentals. And I think, uh, you know, she makes a lot of good points because it is different than our world. Like if you think about someone, I have an investor client, he wants to buy a house, right? To rent it out. He's up against people who want to live in that house. Right. Um, right. That's a good versus, point. You know, on her end, she's, I mean, there's definitely competition. Other people looking for deals, right? Um, mm -hmm. And they're probably way more cutthroat and it's not regulated and they have different powers, different lenders, cash, no cash, like many different ways to finance a deal. But to her point, it's funny because, you know, there's some parallels there. Like I was looking at my email and I had a, a guy, he bought a single family home for 106000 right? Appraisal came in at 88. I'm like, well, that's that's done. I'm sure there were other offers on that property though, for like 95, 90, whatever, right? Maybe even cheaper. And they didn't get the deal. But I just got an addendum come that came back and they they lowered it to 90 grand. So it's there kind you of go. look at it. So, like, yeah. yeah, he he got his foot in the door. He didn't guarantee anything on the appraisal, right? And yeah. For a grand, right? He saved himself a lot of money essentially you know grand between inspection and appraisal didn't really put anything in a guarantee on there that deal could have gone to someone else and he'd never have it she yeah she's big on getting your foot in the door and then figuring it out you know what i mean yeah, yeah. Well, i mean so. the same is even true with you know as long as and that's why the appraisal guarantees are kind of crazy but and it's hard to get a deal accepted without one right because people right now, don't yeah. really realize it. it's kind of like all right well we'll go in and we'll look at the appraisal if the appraisal comes in super low i'm not you know unreasonable i might meet you somewhere but you know i'm not yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. i don't know it's interesting really interesting guest all right guys well that is our show for the day for those of you that have listened thus far thank you for sticking it out and listening to the show uh hopefully we gave you some knowledge go to facebook fa forward slash ire podcast uh dot com to see us live you can go to irepodcast.com just in general. You can also go to Spotify, Stitcher, uh, anywhere else that you get your consume, you consume your podcast. You can find us there. Other than that, boys, we are out. We will see you guys next week. Please like, subscribe, and share the podcast. We love you. We are out. Peace. Bye. You've been listening to Inside Real Estate, the nation's top real estate podcast. Don't forget to follow us at irepodcast.com and everywhere where podcasts are available.